Okay, let's, uh, let's put up slide number one, if we could. There it is. Now, do any of you uh, long-haired, freaky people, former hippies, recognize these guys? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. <clears throat> They're the five-man electrical band. They were around from about the mid-60s to about the mid-70s. And uh, not super popular, but they had a couple of hits. One of the hits that they had... It was called Signs. You might remember that. You can get rid of that picture now. We don't need that anymore. <laughs> the chorus of the song goes like this. Sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? You can tell, and I think probably a few of you remember the song. It's about people being restricted by signs. How signs keep, keep people from doing things and going places. Signs are often exclusionary. A verse in the song goes like this. Now, hey you, mister, can't you read? You've got to have a shirt and tie to get a seat. You can't even watch. No, you can't eat. You ain't supposed to be here. The sign said you've got to have a membership card to get inside. <clears throat> There are other kinds of signs. Nancy and I recently booked a uh, vacation to Disney World that we're going to go to in December, besides emptying my bank account. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've been inundated by my new friend Disney with all kinds of signs telling me that I have to have this and I have to do that and I have to do this on a certain day and that on another day, telling me even... I have to do all these things just to get in to the park. The Bible talks about signs. Judas gave the chief priests and the scribes a sign when he said to them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him and lead him away under guard. There are signs and wonders in Scripture, miraculous deeds. And some of those kinds of signs led some people to consider who Jesus claimed to be. One was Nicodemus. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Although much of the time those miraculous signs didn't draw people to Jesus. The scriptures record that although Jesus had performed so many miraculous signs before them, they still refused to believe in him. Yet Jesus said to one of the apostles, Philip, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not believe me, believe because of the miraculous deeds themselves. There's another kind of sign in the scriptures. It's a sign that has to do not with miracles, but has to do with relationship and the promises of God. In our passage today, Genesis 16 and 17, we're going to see this kind of sign. And as we, see, as we look through this passage, we're going to see the sign that was not a sign. We're going to see the physical sign, and then we're going to see the sign of the heart. Let's pray. Father God, you do give us signs. Sometimes we uh, make more of them than we should, and sometimes we don't recognize the signs. But you do give us signs. You do show us who you are. You do show us what you want from us. You do show us what you've done for us. And I pray, Father, that you'd open our hearts this morning to see what you've done for Abraham and for us. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Caleb covered chapter 15 of Genesis last week, and that was a watershed moment in Abraham's life, or Abram's life, I should say, at this point. Caleb talked about the ceremony that God conducted for Abram. It was called uh, Cutting the Covenant. And Caleb uh, helped us visualize that ceremony by bringing some uh, uh, rotting squash and... uh, and a long, presumably sharp, kitchen utensil. In chapter 15, God had given Abram Abram a a renewal of the promise of descendants, specifically a child, and the promise of the land. He did this in that dramatic covenant ceremony. And in that ceremony, God was the one making the promises. Abram was not a party to keeping the promises. Abram instead was the recipient of the promises. God, in fact, made clear that the son of promise would come from Abram himself, and Abram believed God. And chapter 15 says God applied Abram's belief, that is his trust, to Abram as righteousness. God was not just saying, good job, Abram. God declared that Abram was righteous based on his trust that God would do what God said he would do. So that catches us up. Let's read Genesis 16, 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, that it, um, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years... In the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, as her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant's in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So it had been ten years since Abram had left Haran for Canaan, leaving at God's call. Abram at this time is 85 years old. Sarai's 75. And it was probably a year or two at this point after the events of chapter 15. And I'm sure Abram had discussed the events of chapter 15 with Sarai, and it seems that they came to the conclusion that while the son of promise would come from Abram, they concluded that Sarai was barren. So Sarai came up with the solution. Now we need to understand that this was a cultural norm at the time. It was normal or it was accepted for Sarai to give her servant to Abram to produce a child and that that child would belong to Abram and Sarai. And they may have thought that, well, this must be what God wants. How God will fulfill the promise of a child. But no. And in fact, in the language of that passage, there are indications uh, in the narrative that express that Abram and Sarai were not doing God's will. Commentator Andrew Steinman says this, We are told that Abram listened to Sarai. The wording of that phrase matches only... Adam's listening to Eve. 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Goodness. Moreover, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar and gave her to Abram, her husband. This statement is closely parallel to Eve's act in Genesis 3, 6, when she gave the fruit to Adam from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Seems Abram and Sarai are trying to make God's promises work where they perceived they were not working, or where God was not working. They seem to be trying to work a sign out of God's promise, ignoring or forgetting that God had promised that he would do the work to fulfill his promises. You know, we do this sometimes, right? We perceive that God wants us to do something or to have something, and nothing seems to be happening. So we try to work the problem. Try to work the problem ourselves, saying, well, this must be what God wants. Sometimes thinking, well, that was a sign, right? Or we may not deal with the problem at all. Ignoring it, perhaps thinking, although not out loud, that this isn't what God wants. This isn't what God really meant. Nancy and I were talking about this very thing the other day. Decades ago, we calculated it was about 35 years ago, Nancy and I were prayed over um, in the context of doing ministry. And the people who prayed for us said, prophesied, that God was going to use us to strengthen marriages. I am embarrassed to say that I did not believe it. It can't be what God meant. (laughs) Turns out right now, in fact, a session last night, right now I'm in the middle of doing pre-marriage counseling for a couple with Nancy. The couple's going to be getting married soon. In chapter 16, there's a lot of blame to go around. Sarai blamed God for making her barren. Hagar despised and mocked Sarai. Sarai blamed Abram for the whole situation. When she said, uh, may God judge between you and me, it's kind of like her saying, it's all your fault. (laughs) Anybody familiar with that phrase in their life? (laughs) Sarai treated Hagar harshly. The word means to be bowed down and afflicted. Sarai caused Hagar, as the Hebrews suggest, great unhappiness. And it kind of seems like Abram was on the sidelines a little bit. Kind of going, what did I do? (laughs) Like Abram, Adam, Abram passively allowed all this to happen. Maybe Sarai was right. Maybe it was all his fault. But once again, Abram demonstrated a lack of trust in God. And this led led Abram and Sarai to try to take things under their control. This lack of trust in God's promises led to all kinds of problems. Relationship problems between Abram and Sarai. And it included risking the lives of of Hagar and her unborn child, who was Abram's son. Genesis 16, 17 through 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, for she said truly, Here I have been seen, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So Hagar took off. She was fleeing back to Egypt. As far as she was concerned, any life she had in Abram's house was done. It was over. She was on her own. She was pregnant. She had no husband. She had no means of support. But God sees. Says that the, the pastor says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar. Well, this is no regular angel. In this, the angel told Hagar that he would multiply Ishmael's offspring. This angel's God. And Hagar affirms that later on when she identifies the angel as God. So this is an appearance, not a vision. God appeared to Hagar as God had appeared to Abram. God appears to Hagar, he voices his care for her, tells her that she will have this child, to name him Ishmael, and that he will become the father of many too numerous to count. Sounds similar to the promise God made to Abram. But unlike God's promise to Abram, Hagar's son will live in conflict with those around him. And he will live away from, or more likely live in hostility with his brothers. This hostility has lasted for thousands of years between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. The most important part of this passage is that God both hears and sees. Ishmael means God hears. God heard Hagar's affliction and demonstrated his care for her and for the still unborn Ishmael. God heard Hagar's cries and called her to return to Abram's house so that this future son of Abram would share in the overall blessings of being part of Abram's family. And as to seeing, Hagar is the only person in the Old Testament to give a name to God, calling him, you are a God of seeing. For Hagar, the seeing was in both directions. God saw her, and as she says in verse 13, she saw the God who looks after her. The well that Hagar was, was at was memorialized, to remember this event, and it was called Beer Lahai Roi. Now, I know some of you might be getting excited, thinking, well, is this a new brewery or something? Uh, no, it's not. The name means the well of the living one who sees me. Abram messed up. Sarah messed up. Hagar messed up. They all sinned. They all stepped out of God's desire for them, yet God sees And rather than punish, God acts in care toward Hagar. Abram and Sarai tried to make Hagar's son the sign of God's promise, but Ishmael would not be that son. But God would provide a sign. Abram was now 86 years old. The physical sign. So we fast forward to chapter 17, 13 years. It had been at least that long, probably a year or two longer, since Abram had heard from God in Genesis 15. And then, Genesis 17, 1 through 8. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I, make my, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offsprings after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the fifth time God came to Abram and talked about this covenant that he was making. In the previous four times, the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word for covenant is only used once, Genesis 15, but here, in chapter 17, it's used 13 times. Nine times, it says that God, God says it is my covenant. Five times, God says it is my covenant with you. In this covenant, this renewal of the covenant, for the first time God confirms his covenant not just with Abram, but with his future offspring throughout their generations. And for the first time God promises Abram he will be the father of a multitude of nations. And in the middle of this, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Abram means exalted father, Abraham means father of a multitude. The name reflects the promise. It would be a constant reminder to Abraham of the covenant. The nature of this covenant is personal, both for Abraham and his descendants. Listen again to Genesis 17, 7 and 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. It's personal. Seven times in the Old Testament, God promises, I will be their God and they will be my people. This personal relationship includes the residence of God with his people. We see that in Ezekiel 37. It's tied to the land of promise. That's in Zechariah 8. Mostly, though, it's tied to the acknowledgement of God by his people and their willing obedience to him. You see that in Jeremiah 24. But it also looks forward to the new covenant, where the willing obedience of God's people is placed in them by God. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God covenants with his people. He makes the covenant into a personal relationship with the people he is covenants with. This personal relationship is part of the covenant that we are under in Christ the one that God has made with you and I. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So in this personal relationship, God establishes a covenantal sign. Genesis 17, 9 through 14. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, 
you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought uh, with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised, so that my covenant, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God's covenant with Abraham, we need to catch this, and his descendants is unconditional. God will accomplish the promises of his covenant. But God here institute a covenantal requirement, circumcision. And while it's a requirement, circumcision is not a condition of the covenant. God will keep his promises. It's simply a matter of whether one is included by their own choice in the people of the covenant. The purpose of the requirement was to be an everlasting or permanent reminder, a sign that a person was part of God's covenantal people. Later, in verses 23 through 27, we won't read that today, but Abraham carries out this requirement that very same day. Abraham, Ishmael, and every male in Abraham's household were circumcised. That must have been uh, uncomfortable. Before that took place, God reiterates the promise to Abraham. Genesis 17, 15 through 21. As God said to Abraham, so as, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she'll, she, she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, will, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. The son of promise would come from Sarai. And Sarai's name, like Abraham's, is changed to Sarah. Sarai means princess. Sarah means princess or queen. God promises Abraham that Sarah would have his child, and Abraham laughs. He laughs at this notion. Later on, Sarah would also laugh at the notion. And Abraham stubbornly asks God that Ishmael would be the child of promise. God says no. But then he gives details. Details that he hadn't given Abraham up until now. Abraham and Sarah's child would be called Isaac, which means laughs. God's kind of poking Abraham here. The personal covenant God made with Abraham would be a personal covenant made with Isaac. God has made the covenant. God will fulfill the covenant as, as he promised 
And now God has given his sign of the covenant. Abraham is 99 years old at this time. Sarah is 89 years old. Isaac would be born in a year's time, and when Isaac is born, Abraham would be 100, Sarah would be 90. And when Isaac was born, it would be 25 years after God first called Abram with the promise of descendants and land. Well, there's more to it than that. I want to talk about the sign of the heart. We do not live under the covenant that Abram or that God made with Abraham and his descendants. However, as we will see in a moment, it should be noted that as children of Abraham, who trust God like Abraham, are part of the family of faith. As believers, we live under the new covenant established by Christ, but there is one common element between the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. Both covenants have a sign. Romans 4, 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. In this passage, Paul is, speaks of the faith of Abraham and the role of circumcision. In the chapter prior to this, in Romans chapter 3, Paul had condemned everyone, Jew and Gentile, as all being under sin, and that no one can do anything to make themselves righteous before God. Well, that creates a problem. And the problem is made more severe by the notion many Jews had about Abraham. Ancient rabbinical writings said things like this, We find that Abraham, our father, had performed the whole law before it was given. And Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord. The rabbis argued that Abraham kept the law perfectly, even before it was given, and that he kept it by intuition or by anticipation. The rabbinical interpretation of all this was that if one is descended from Abraham and is circumcised and keeps to a basic basic moral and ceremonial law that one has personal righteousness before God by works. This very idea came up in a discussion of some Jews had with Jesus. John eight thirty nine through 41. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham, the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, 
The man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father did. And then later in that discussion, Jesus clarified who their father really was. John 8, 44. You, have your, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In Romans chapter 4, Paul asks several questions to, that he answers in making his argument, but I think we can sum them up in two questions. First question Paul asks is, what did Abraham gain or what did he find regarding circumcision? The answer is that Abraham found that he believed God and it was based on his belief that God credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham was righteous because he believed, not because of what he did, certainly not because of circumcision. Paul expands in the idea by saying that the one who does not work for righteousness but believes God justifies the ungodly. God declares righteous. The next question is this blessing only for the circumcised? The answer is no. We know this because Abraham was counted righteous before he was circumcised. So what's the point? What's the point of circumcision? According to Paul, the circumcision was a sign that acted as a physical reminder of the seal of righteousness that Abraham had received. It was not just a sign of the covenant. It was a God's seal on Abraham, Abraham that pointed to the righteousness that was credited to Abraham by God based on Abraham's trust in God to do what God said he would do. The purpose of all this was to make Abraham father, the father of all who believe, circumcised or not, that by their trust in God to do, what, to do what God says he will do and to make Abraham the father of all, as Paul says, who walk in the footsteps of faith that Abraham walked in. The Greek word for seal means signet. A signet is a seal often on a ring that a king or an important person in ancient times or even a rich person would use to authenticate a document. Typically, the signet would be pressed into some melted wax on the document, leaving an impression of the seal on the document, thus authenticating it. I've got another picture here, if we can bring that up. There it is. That's a signet ring. You can tell it's Egyptian, and apparently it belonged to Tutankhamun. It's made of gold. In part, the inscription reads, Eternity, Life. Circumcision was God's seal that authenticated Abraham's righteousness. And God also seals believers in Christ. This is all God's work. The work God did in Abraham, God does the same in each of you who have believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Based on your trust in God, he has credited that as righteousness to you through the righteousness provided by Christ. Colossians 2, 11 through 14. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In this work of God, believers have a sign, they have a seal that authenticates that we are God's and that we live in a personal relationship with him. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Consider this. You are God's own. He purchased you by the blood of Christ. You are permanently adopted into his family. You are secure in him. This is proved because you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is the sign of the righteousness of Christ in you. We have not a circumcision of the flesh, but of a, a circumcision of the heart. On that idea, Michael Heiser in his book, The Bible Unfiltered, Approaching Scripture on Its Own Terms, says this, Circumcision of the heart speaks to a heart that believes. Not a work. It is a heart submitted to God, not merely the will. A circumcised heart was a believing heart, and it was essential for right relationship to God. <clears throat> Romans 2, 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is from man, not from man, but from God. The sign of our righteousness in God is not a sign, like the song says, that blocks out the scenery and breaks my mind. It's a sign and a seal that you are God's own child. Abraham was imperfect. He doubted and he feared. And a lot of times he did not fully trust God, taking matters into his own hands. Yet in his imperfections and in his doubts and in his fears, he still trusted God. He trusted that God would do what God said he would do. And that's faith. In all of your imperfections, in all of your doubts, in all of your fears, in all the times you fail to fully trust God, the day you trusted Christ for your salvation is the day God credited to you righteousness. That's the day, like Abraham, you trusted that God would do what God said he would do. You are righteous not because of what you've done, but because, of your right, but because your righteousness was given to you by the one in whom you believed. You have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. You are a child of the king. That's what the sign says. That's what the sign means. And I can't talk about this without saying that if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, or if you're not sure, please talk to me. Or talk to one of the elders here today, Mike Conklin, Jesse, Nate. 
Or you can talk to one of the people up here on the prayer team who will be up here in a moment. We'd love to show you how to become a child of the king. We would love to show you how to receive the sign and seal of God's righteousness in you. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled before you. You know, I, 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 I look at Abraham and I look at his fractured life. The Jews hold him up as a paragon of faith, and he certainly had faith, but he also just messed up. And we realize, Lord, that we mess up a lot. We realize, Lord, that we don't always trust you. And yet, out of your love, out of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you have brought us to yourself. You have enabled us us to believe that Christ is our salvation. You have enabled, enabled us to believe that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Thank you for the seal of your righteousness in us through Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, that that seal is going to open up to us one day the full inheritance that you have ready for us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.